we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Our second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word to God's people.
We continue on with our thinking about how we express our faith, how we live out our faith in our lives of discipleship, um, perhaps best characterized by those five words we discover in our membership vow, our stewardship of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Today we talk about service. Today we think about how we are called to be people of good works to one another. We are called to be God's hand and God's heart in the world. Scripture is full of references about this kind of stuff, that how, how you need to be a, a faithful person and caring of love not only of God, but of love of neighbor. And if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to be paying attention to them. You're going to be seeing how they are doing, and you're going to be looking for ways to help them to get along in their life. Scripture talks about welcoming the stranger, providing for the widow, supporting the poor, care for the marginalized. If you think about the beginning of our scriptures, you, you recall the, the story of creation and the fall, and then the world is populated, and we have that beautiful, though, a painful scene of Cain and Abel. And in the conversation that follows it, the question is raised, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is given. You sure are. <laughs> yep, you are. So from the very start of our thinking of how to be faithful, we had it in our heads and perhaps a little bit in our hearts that we were not only supposed to love God, but to care for our neighbor, our brothers, and our sisters. So there's a couple specific passages I, I want to remind you of. Uh, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? In Amos we read, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And the prophet reminds us that that happens through us. God through us. In Matthew 20, there is this conversation of Jesus with his disciples. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? And that the great ones are tyrants over them? It will not be so among you. 
But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus did serve, didn't he? And we are called to follow in those footsteps of service. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus is remembered as saying, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus, laying it on the line, wouldn't you say, about the importance of service for people that follow him as his disciples. So our first scripture from, <clears throat> from Deuteronomy this morning, it's actually called the essence of the law. And the rhetorical question is asked, what does the Lord require of us? And, and a little different than in Micah, the author of Deuteronomy says, fear the Lord meaning respect and with awe have that relationship of humility to God. But walk in God's ways, love and serve God with your whole heart and your whole soul and all of your strength. Keep all the Lord's commandments and decrees. Be faithful in the living of your days, faithfully following the Lord's expectations for how you should be as a person of faith. Have a loving life of service and recognize that this is for your own well-being. It's not just for the person that you're helping, though helping that other person is a great, important thing to do. Being a person of service is a way by which you help yourself. It's one of the paths to life abundant. The Lord requires an obedient life of faithful and active discipleship. That's what we are to be about. And thankfully, we realize that it is not only for the good of others, but it is for the good of ourselves. In 1 Peter, Peter gives some little more granular advice about this caring and serving of others. He says, maintain the love you have for one another. Be hospitable without complaining. I love that. <laughs> Sometimes I need to be reminded of that. Serve one another with the gifts that God has given you. He has given you those gifts so that you would serve one another. 
speak as if it is God speaking through you. Well, that kind of calls us to attention, doesn't it? A loving life of service in Peter's mind is a life that brings God glory. It's a way by which you glorify God. So you do it not only to help somebody else, you do it not only because it really does help you to be a servant, but you do it because in the serving, you are glorifying the God that you worship. There's a lot wrapped up in this. And certainly, as we look around our world, our community, sometimes just in our neighborhood, we see that there are really some enormous problems, some uh, intransient things that somehow need to move and alter for this world to be a little bit more in line with God's intention, for our lives to be a little bit more in line with God's will. Doug Anderson when he writes about church revitalization, says this, and I, I share it with you because I just think it's, it's just helpful words for all of us as we think about the life of a church. You don't need to change everything to change everything. Changing something can change everything. Think about that. Have you, have you noticed that? That really sometimes just the smallest little alteration of something can have an impact that extends far beyond its intention and change the color, change the, um, the spirit. We are not to be immobilized by the enormity of the task before us in making this world with God's help into God's kingdom. Grab a manageable part. Grab something that is connected to where you have gifts and graces and passion. Change a little something and see how it doesn't change a lot of things. The long journey is made by taking one step and then another step and then another step. Church growth happens by inviting one person here, one at a time. Ending world hunger, <laughs> one mouth at a time. Mother Teresa was remembered as saying, I don't have to be successful in what I'm doing. I just want to be faithful in what I'm doing. In trying to be faithful to our call, we... Do what God is wanting us to do. And as good fortune would have it, that acting in faithfulness will bring forward positive change. Because God's Spirit 
is walking along with us doing that good. It's God's work. It's God's business. And we're participating in a partnership with God to bring about this good or that good. Gandhi is remembered as saying, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. You know where he got that? His study of the New Testament, his affection for Jesus. He could have gotten it from Deuteronomy because it was in there too, wasn't it? And are you aware that he predates modern psychology? Because that's what the psychologists will tell you now. If you're feeling a little depressed, don't hunker down under your blankets. Get up. Get out the door and help somebody. In the helping of somebody else, you will find yourself again. So we're called to a service with large consequences or small consequences, a service which might seem hardly worth it, or perhaps we have an insight and we recognize that, yes, this is the start of something big. So I want to tell a story on me about how a prior parishioner uh, kind of got in my face. And I don't do this to encourage any of you <laughs> in similar behavior. I think it was after a Bible study. That's a little uh, sketchy now, but typically these kind of things happen, you know, late at night in the parking lot, um, you know, after something else happened, which is why you were there to begin with. And he was chatting with me. I don't know what stimulated the conversation, but he was chatting with me, kind of sharing what he had been through. He was a youth in the segregated Deep South, and he had been noting with his hindsight his memory of the behaviors of people, the behaviors of members of his church, behavior of, of other churches in his community. And he was led to say to me that night, well, you know, I think some of those churches were really obstructionist. You know, they were working against the equality in society. And surely we see now that they were wrong in doing that. And he said, I, I would say that some other of the churches were uh, observing churches, observers, as he called it. You know, they were just trying to keep their nose clean and stay out of the fray. They, they stood on the side and didn't do anything and just kind of observed, watched as things unfolded. And then he said other churches were engaged. Other believers were engaged. And here's what he said. They were obedient. He used that word, obedient. Actively aiding God in bringing forward more justice for more people in the community. Obedience to their calling as a, as a Christian. And this is what's 
synced the memory of this scene into my thoughts is that then he kind of, well, the way people do, he kind of got in a little closer. And he said, which of these churches would you have liked to have been a part of? So I thought, well, the obedient one. Yes, I, I would, yes the, I would like to have been a part of the, I would like to have been an obedient person to God's will back then and been part of an obedient church and engaged in bringing forward God's will for more people. And he said, well, yeah, I kind of wish I was too. Because those other churches, as they look back upon their life, are feeling a, a feeling of judgment upon them for not having stepped forward as they should have. And then here's the kicker. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to, you know, say all of that to me. Then he said, so Walt, you know, we have opportunities abounding now to be obedient, to be observer, or to be obstructionist. Which do you want to be? So I'll confess, I had a sleepless, pretty sleepless night that night, kind of disturbed by the challenge. Um, but he was right. You know, we might enjoy, I'm a, a fond reader of history, and I like to read back and, and see how things happened, how things unfolded, and, you know, learn from the perspective of hindsight. But, you know, it's a whole lot easier to be right with hindsight. It's easier to see the way forward with the benefit of hindsight. We're in the living of today. This is our time. This is our place. And God is asking us to be faithful. And so we are challenged to try to figure out what is it? How is it that we are to serve? And I share this story just because I think it's helpful to try to imagine 50 years from now. We come to our 50th anniversary, and what will it be like in 50 years? And what will those grand or great-grandkids of ours, as they look back upon us, say about us? And I'm not implying any particular issue at all. I think you can choose your own issue of life on this. Choose what's stuck in your car or what you're passionate about as you look around in the world, the opportunities for service, the opportunities where you see injustice, where you see people not being brother and sister to one another, where you see the creation not being the way you're real confident God would wanted it to be. Look around at all of that. And ask God if there's a little nudging God may want to do to you. Is there a particular small little step that God would want you to make or bold endeavor that God would want you to make? Because you're a disciple of Christ Jesus. Because in your discipleship, you're called to be a steward 
of your gifts and your talents, your energies, your abilities, to be a steward through service. And just invite God into the mix of your thinking and see what unfolds. For one thing we know is sure that we're expected to be servants. We're expected to be our brother's keeper. We're expected to be channels of where justice and mercy overflow and wash down. We're expected to see Jesus in the eye of the imprisoned, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger. And we're asked to somehow make sense of that and respond. Our stewardship of service is crucial, just as our stewardship of prayer, our stewardship of witness, our stewardship of presence. A crucial way by which we give expression to our faith. So I invite you this morning to hunker down with the Spirit, to open your heart, open your hands, to let God work through your heart and hands into the community that we might be part of God's wonder workers in this world. Amen.